Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Welcome to episode number 29 of the podcast that gives you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name's Simon Head, and joining me as always is my buddy, Shamat Karsandu. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, Simon. It was a quiet week uh, in the world of high-level elite mixed martial arts, shall we say. Um, Sean Connery came out of me a little bit there. Um, but business is certainly going to pick up as we head towards uh, UFC 209 this weekend. And we're looking forward to uh, getting into the meat of the bones and checking it all out with you. It's going to be a big weekend for the UFC this coming weekend. We will look, look ahead to that on this week's show, but we will kick things off uh, looking back at the Bellator 179 press conference in London as Rory MacDonald jetted in to the UK and faced the British press for the first time since being named as Paul Daly's opponent for that main event at Wembley Arena. As I said there, we'll also take a closer look at the two huge title fights coming up this weekend at Las, in Las Vegas at UFC 209. And as always, we'll wrap things up by answering your MMA-related questions in our weekly Q&A section. Let's kick straight off with the press conference that both myself and you, Sandu, turned up for in Kensington, London this past week. Uh, actually, the second time Bellator landed in the UK in the space of about a week to uh, to really get the ball rolling with uh, Bellator 179. Paul Daly taking on Rory MacDonald. This time round, Rory Mac was in the building and uh, we had some fun and games in the press conference. It turned out to be... Uh, pretty lively stuff yeah uh, and i think it was a good move by bellator obviously it worked out that they had an event in belfast uh, this past weekend so they can do a little pit stop in london this time they had rory mack they didn't have him a couple of weeks ago when they first made the official announcement of him fighting paul daly um so it was good to have rory there and that was his first press conference uh, headlining or you know an, an announcing his own kind of main event for bellator and i think it was good to kind of just get some you know time with him speak to him he seems pretty screwed on seems pretty i mean he seems pretty same old same old rory yeah, just seems really eager to kind of get back in there um, and uh, and just compete again. He's still very much in his prime. One uh, fighter who was uh, conspicuously absent uh, was Michael Venom Page. And, of course, the, the previous Bellator press conference we both attended, it was all about MVP and Paul Daly. The, all the questions were about them potentially fighting and some of the stuff that had been kind of said back and forth between the two. But I think it was good to kind of move that to the side now and really focus the attention um, on the fight at hand, and that is Daly. Uh, versus Rory McDonald. So it's good to kind of get some time with those guys. They also flew in Bobby Lashley, um, and they said that he's going to be part of the card. Uh, no uh, contracts have officially been signed. Um, no opponent has been announced for him just yet, uh, but it looks like he'll be a, uh, a part of the card. And um, and also MVP's opponent was announced, Derek Anderson, a former lightweight um, who's now going to make, uh, from what he says, a permanent move uh, to welterweight. Um, he was sporting a pretty uh, funny uh bright gold tooth um which he had she had a you know funny story with us about uh, before um and apart from that I, I think it was a good media turnout side um especially for the you know having them back to back it's always kind of hard to kind of get the media uh, most of who aren't really doing this in a, in a full-time capacity get them together um uh, to attend the, these press conferences in the middle of the week middle of the day um but they've also announced since then another fight uh liam mcgeary versus linton vassell so I thought all in all, it was a, as a positive for Bellator. Um, it got they got some um, um, positive momentum uh, up and running, especially um, with them announcing that the tickets were going to go on sale um, this past week, um, which uh, was brought forward. So I don't know how ticket sales have gone for them, 
Um, but but hopefully it does well. We all, always want to see um, all of these promotions do well uh, because this means that the, the likelihood of them coming back with bigger and better events is uh, that much higher. Uh, but what kind of some of your key takeaways from the actual press conference itself, Si? First key takeaway, Mike Morgan, our friend from Woe TV, stole the show with uh, his line of questioning of Paul Daly and Rory MacDonald. Um, the, uh, I do have the, uh, the live stream replay of that press conference on my Twitter. Uh, do check that out. It was, it was comedy gold. It was quite amusing. Uh, his line of questioning was pretty cool. Um, Daly, I thought, was pretty relaxed and happy to have Rory there. And the stare down was pretty intense. I thought that, that was a proper stare down. There was no animosity between the two. You've got two fierce competitors there. And I think they're both really, really keen to just get in there and, and really make a statement at Bellator 179. And that's, that's going to be our main event. It's going to be really exciting. As for Rory, as you said, it was the same Rory we're used to talking to. Uh, and uh, very, very sort of calm on the level. You don't get many extremes of emotion with Rory McDonald. He's, he's, very, uh, he's very consistent. Um, but the thing that I got out of him, he seemed, he seemed very relaxed and happy to be a Bellator fighter, having made that switch across from the UFC. He likes the freedom. He likes the pay packet as well. It sounds like he's getting better, better compensated for his, for his job uh, under the Bellator banner, which is good for him. He wants the world title and he also wants to go up and fight a middleweight as well. But he's excited for this Paul Daly fight. And uh, the big takeaway that I got from him was... We already know that Rory McDonald is an exciting fighter, but he says that he's going to leave caution at the door when he gets in there uh, against Paul Daly, and we're going to see an even more offensive Rory McDonald this time around. So that really does bode well for the fight. Um, I thought Derek Anderson, having never spoken to the guy before, I thought he was he was good value, pretty engaging. The thing that really sort of struck me with him was this is his first real chance to sort of take a bit of the spotlight and enjoy a bit of the media attention. He seemed to sort of take it all in his stride. He seemed very happy to sort of field all these weird and wonderful questions from these strange foreign journalists that we, uh, we all pitched up. And uh, yeah, I, I thought, I thought he, I thought he coped really well. I didn't get a chance to chat at length to Bobby Lashley, but he's a good name to have on the card. Obviously we have a strong professional wrestling fan base here in the UK, and there is a clear crossover between pro wrestling and MMA. So I think, that works quite nicely in this particular market in the UK, having someone who, who um, he's doing pretty well. He's currently working an angle with the uh, former UFC heavyweight champion, Josh Barnett in impact wrestling, um, which is kind of interesting. So you've got two guys who they do a bit of pro wrestling, they do a bit of MMA and uh, they're working an angle at the moment for impact wrestling. Um, but Bobby, was very clear in that his wrestling commitments weren't really going to get in the way of him preparing for this fight. Um, and that he's going to get in there. He doesn't know who's going to face yet. I think the plan was for him to face Ollie Thompson. Um, but his fight with Czech Congo, a, he lost it and B, it wasn't a particularly competitive fight. So, um, they've gone back to the, they've gone back to the drawing board for that one. So it'd be interesting to see who they, who they pick for Bobby Lashley. But, I have to say, I think the way that they're doing things, Sandu, they're, they're, they're building steadily. Having the two press conferences in close proximity, I think, has really helped sort of pique the interest. And having a main event like Daly versus McDonald, especially when you consider some of the criticism that's been levied at the UFC for their main event for the upcoming London card in March, 
I think Bellator are looking in a pretty good spot right now as they're, as they're building up for this May event, Bellator 179, what do you reckon? Absolutely. Um, Scott Coker himself said that they're looking at this as one of their tentpole events, um, which is why I'm really interested to find out um, you know, what other fights we're going to get on this particular card. And there, it will be you know, time delay for the folks over back um, in, in the US. Um, you know, but again, they're going to do the same thing that they did last year here for, for the UK broadcast, where there will be a time delay on it, but um, Spike UK will get the uh, the first hour, 9 to 10, and then from 10 to midnight, you're going to get, I, I would imagine, uh, the top three fights of the card, maybe main, co-main, and then the third fight. Um, and if it if it goes according to what the current setup is, you're going to get Paul Daly, Rory McDonald, Michael Page, Derek Anderson, and Liam McGeary versus Linton Vassell, right? So you've got plenty of British fighters um, that could use that spotlight on Channel 5. If I remember correctly, uh, they got something in the ballpark of about, around about half a million viewers um, last time round. Which is, you know, pretty freaking pretty good, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. You know, it's uh, although there's a bit of a you know time delay, it is on free TV, so you don't need a special subscription to watch it in the UK. Of course, I'm sure your Twitter blows up like mine does from now from now and then uh, regarding uh, Bellator finally kind of getting um, a proper TV deal in place where everyone can, everyone can watch their fights live. That still isn't. Um, um, the case at the moment, I'm sure Scott Coker and everyone you know behind the scenes, both at Channel Five and Spike UK, would like that to happen. Um, it's just unfortunate, I suppose. Uh, we could keep banging the drum and keep asking and keep questioning it, and then that's what we can do. Uh, but hopefully, that is something that changes in the near future. Uh, but on the flip side, what we've got here is a, is a stellar main event in Paul Daly, Rory McDonald. Uh, and again, calling a spade a spade. If you ask, uh, every, you know, pretty much everyone in the UK MMA community, um, that's the best main event we've got when you stack up the UFC event with the Bellator event. Now, overall, card top to bottom, I think eventually you're going to see the UFC card has more strength and depth, more characters, uh, more fighters who are much higher on their journey fighting on the elite level. And again, it depends what you want and what you're after for a night of fights. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of fans that will be attending both. Um, but I'm really looking forward to finding out how the, 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 the ticket sales do, um, how the uh, the arena is configured on the night, what kind of atmosphere we're going to get. Will there be empty seats? Will it be rammed uh, and packed to the rafters? Uh, the event is held at the SSC Arena in Wembley on May 19th. Tickets are on sale now, FYI. And uh, yeah, I, I concur with everything you said, Simon. Having those two confer press conferences back-to-back -back in the space of a few weeks just helped build momentum. It didn't hurt that they had an event in Bel Belfast just around the corner so our friends over the, the other side of the pond uh, could get some access uh, to these guys um, and get some media co uh, coverage out there out of them. But uh, but we are still about two and a half months away. So let's just see kind of uh, how things progress over the course of the next nine or ten weeks. Yeah, and we've as you said, we've got some good fights on that card already. We're gonna, we know that we're going to get more as they fill that card out. One really exciting potential matchup, which was called for this past weekend, James Gallagher. He wants on this London card, and he wants AJ McKee. That's a rivalry that seems to have been bubbling under, and it's now finally breaking through. Two of the top prospects in Bellator's 145-pound division. Imagine that, if we get that fight on that card as well. AJ McKee, for me, is one of the standout prospects for Bellator in any weight class. And you've got James Gallagher, who is absolutely flying up that 145-pound uh, division. He looks in great form. McKee looks in great form. 
They're both really exciting prospects. Will Scott Coker pitch them against each other on a big tentpole event like this? Or do you think he might keep them apart and build them a little bit further down the line for when they can put a belt on that kind of matchup? What do you reckon? Um, that's a good question. I'm not too sure. I say why not? If that's what Gallagher wants, uh, why not stick it on the London card? It's not too far for him to travel. Uh, it might even help get some of his fellow Irishmen uh, to fly over uh, for the card. Uh, it's not you know too expensive to fly from uh, Dublin to London these days. And um, it, it would help make for more of a UK and Ireland flavour as, as opposed to just an all-British affair type of thing. So, yeah, great. And I'm, I'm glad that James Gallagher is using these opportunities. He's winning fights. He's, uh, he's you know, very well-spoken. He's making the best of these post-fight interviews, calling his shot, and that's what you want to see. You know, you want to see great performances. You want to see finishes. But then you also want to know what's next. And James Gallagher has laid it out there. He wants AJ McKee next. Let's get it done. Yeah, that would be, that would be a, a dynamite addition. So what's building up to be a pretty exciting-looking fight card, Bellator 179. Now, the next big event we have on our horizon comes up this Saturday night from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, UFC 209. And Sandu, we talked about this just before we went on air. It's kind of amusing that in a week where we had the Oscars and that incredible mix-up for the best picture, we are now looking at the rematch where there was also a big mix-up at Madison Square Garden, Bruce Buffer initially announced Tyron Woodley as the winner of that first matchup with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I know everyone sat with me on press row were bellowing at the cage going, it's a draw, it's a draw. Finally, they, they confirmed the result. And mid-interview, Joe Rogan had to break it to Tyron Woodley that he hadn't actually won that fight at all, that it was a draw, that he got to keep his belt. But it was a wholly... Um, sort of disappointing way to finish what was one of the most exciting fights of 2016. There had to be a rematch. We're getting the rematch on Saturday night. It's the main event. Where, where, where is your money going? If you were indeed going to put money down on this, on this event, Sandu, it's the big question because we, there's so much unresolved from the first fight. It went five rounds. How did you score that first fight as well? Because I, I, I had it as a draw. Well, it's, I'm not. I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I think, if memory serves me correctly, I think I had it just for Tyron Woodley, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, I'll have, I'll have to go back and kind of like see how I scored that. And I actually haven't seen the fight um, back again yet, uh, but it is something that I want to try and do this week. But the one thing I, the one main takeaway from that fight was one of the main kind of concerns I had, and I've always had about Tyron Woodley, and that's his gas tank. And that was a big, big question that was answered for me. And it really kind of helps me shape how I kind of see him as a fighter and how I kind of would, you know, play my prediction game with him moving forward. I am going to pick him to win. I, I think he proved in that fight he can conserve his energy um, very efficiently over the course of 25 minutes. And he can still kind of, he's still very explosive. He'll still get his one-two combinations in there. Um, and I think, you know, having spent 25 minutes with Stephen Thompson, He's now started to figure out how best to, you know, navigate the waters with a very unorthodox style that Wonderboy brings to the table. So, and, and again, all the pressures on Wonderboy. You know, you don't typically get too many second chances uh, at a UFC World World Championship, and he's got one here. He's a very lucky boy to get one. Um, but I, I've got my money on Tyron Woodley. Just, I think it's going to be a very tightly contested fair again, um, and I'm sure Wonderboy would have, you know, taken a lot out of that fight. And he'll be, you know, he would have made, you know, plenty of adjustments himself. Um, but I, I just feel like Tyron Woodley's got a lot of momentum. 
Um, and, and I think all of this kind of him against the world kind of narrative that he's kind of brought to the table over the last couple of months has almost kind of served to self-motivate him to make sure that he does keep on winning. Because, um, you know, he's kind of like gambling with all of his chips every time he goes out, does an interview, every time he goes out and puts on a fight. Um, so I'm picking Tyron Woodley to win just slightly. And I think it'll go the distance again. I'll think he'll get in on points. Hopefully this time there's no error in uh, Bruce, Braff, Bruce Buffer's announcement. Oh, blimey. The last thing we need is another draw. That would just be, <laughs> that would just be disastrous. This is going to come across as fence-sitting, and it probably is, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there anyway. The smart bet here is Tyron Woodley. Without a doubt, the smart bet is Tyron Woodley. I'm backing Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, however, because I'm not smart. But the smart money is Tyron Woodley because... Look back at that first fight. Tyron Woodley should have won that fight in the fourth round. He, de- he decked um, Wonderboy. Wonderboy was in all sorts of trouble. And Tyron Woodley made a decision that effectively, it didn't lose him the fight, but it cost him the win because obviously it ended up in a, as a draw. And he made a decision that cost him the win. And that was when he had Wonderboy down on the mat. He had him in a lot of trouble. He was landing punches and elbows on the ground. And then he went for the guillotine choke and he locked up the guillotine choke and all credit to Wonderboy he managed to gut it out and survive that but by doing that it basically stopped the damage that was being poured onto Wonderboy at that point and it wouldn't have taken a hell of a lot more for the referee to stop that fight he looked ready to be stopped and Woodley switched gears and I think that that cost him the win that night Um, I still think there are some question marks over Tyron Woodley I mean He's a great athlete, and from what I can make out about him, he's a he's, you know he's a decent guy as well. But I think he still hasn't quite earned his stripes in the eyes of a lot of people. The only championship level opponent that he's actually beaten to earn his title shot was Carlos Condit, and that was a controversial win anyway because it was an injury. Since then, he got beat by Rory McDonald. He knocked out Dong Hyun Kim, who isn't championship level, and he he went to a split decision with Kelvin Gastelum, who couldn't make weight. So. He's done well to get the title shot. He obviously blew um, blew away uh, Robbie Lawler, which suggests that he's he's definitely worthy of being at that level. But now he's got to assert some dominance, and he didn't do that sufficiently against Wonderboy. And he knows he should have put Wonderboy away at Madison Square Garden. And I think this is this this is the fascinating thing, Sandu. You've got two guys who both think that they dropped the ball in the first fight. You've got Woodley, who realises he should have finished Wonderboy in the, in the fourth round. And you've got Wonderboy, who I spoke to after the fight and said to me that he was gun-shy through most of the fight. His output wasn't anywhere near high enough. He wasn't mixing up his strikes much. And he was disappointed with how he performed. And yet, he still didn't lose the fight. He got dropped. He got hurt. And he, he fought well below what he felt was his best. Yet, he still didn't lose. So that's quite a big upside for him as well. So the big question is, who's going to adjust best in this main event? I, I think it's a fascinating contest. It was a fascinating contest to start with. Now, when you factor in the first fight and the fact that neither guy is 100% happy with what they did first time round, and you've not got the shock factor or the surprise factor, both of them are now known quantities to each other. I think it's going to be a fascinating contest. I'm leaning towards Wonder Boy just... And the reason for that is I think it's going to take something a little bit out of the norm, a little, a little bit out of the ordinary to make the difference in this fight. And if I look at it, I think the guy who's got the, the greatest propensity to do that is Wonderboy Thompson. But 
it really is a coin flip of a fight, and I, I cannot wait to watch it. It's uh, it's going to be a good one, Sandu. It's going to be a good one. It really is. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, all the coverage that comes out of Fight Week uh, with both of these guys kind of doing the rounds with the media, doing all the interviews. I'm sure there'll be a press conference and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's just a it's just a fascinating fight, and it's 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 the it's the one time where I think um, a rematch is well deserved. Um, and it's justified. Of course, it does create a bit of a logjam. You've got the likes of a Damian Meyer waiting in the wings, hoping to get a title shot. GSP's just returned. You know, what are his int- intentions? We don't quite know just yet. It'll be interesting to see, you know, especially if Woodley wins, if he does go go for the jugular, you know, call out GSP to kind of cement his own legacy um, as, as a future great welterweight champion. Uh, I think, and I suspect if Steve Wonderboy wins, he won't particularly go that route given his ties to the TriStar team, having trained with GSP in the past, and hasn't, having been brought in as a, as a training partner on many occasions as well. So it's a really, really good main event. Absolutely loving this fight. And it's a one-two combination, Simon, because in the co-main event, we've got Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov, and that could be its own main event in its own right. And that's for the interim lightweight championship. What your thoughts on Khabib versus Tony Ferguson, Si? That is going to be, it's, it's going to take one hell of a fight to upstage that main event. But if any fight could do it, that's the fight. Very, very quickly before I talk about that, you mentioned Damian Meyer. Um, I don't know if it's been officially confirmed yet. But today, this morning, it's, the, uh, the news is starting to drip feed out that he is going to face Jorge Masvidal in the new main event in Nashville, Tennessee. That was originally going to be Cub Swanson versus Artem Lubov. I assume that fight will get bumped down to Comain if that Maya versus um, Masvidal fight gets confirmed. That's one hell of a fight, Maya versus Masvidal. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit nearer the time, but I just wanted to drop that in while, while, mm. uh, while we were talking about Damian Maya. Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. Look down the UFC roster, Sandy. I don't know if there's a better just head-to-head matchup that you could make on paper in any weight class in the UFC right now. I think this is arguably the most fascinating matchup that you could make anywhere, any weight class. Um, you've got you've got Khabib, 24 fights, no losses. He's 8-0 in the UFC. Then you've got Tony Ferguson, who's on a nine-fight win streak in the UFC. And they're both converging at this point where there's an interim belt on the line. And the winner potentially, and we have to underline... Uh, put in uh, quote marks the words potentially could end up fighting Conor McGregor next. Now there's an awful lot of things that need to happen for that to for that to take place, but the interim champion really does deserve to get a shot at the uh, undisputed belt in their next fight. So this is an absolutely colossal fight in the career of both men, and um, it's a clash of styles. You've got Khabib Nurmagomedov who is one of the most predictable fighters in the UFC lightweight division. You step in the cage with Khabib, you know exactly what you're going to get. He's going to walk across the cage, he's going to put his hands on you, he's going to take you down, and he's going to smash you until the referee stops it or until you quit. There's no airs and graces, there's no, there's no hidden tricks. You know what you're going to get from him. Con- contrast that with um, Tony Ferguson, who's one of the wildest, most unpredictable fighters in the division, and you've got this fantastic clash of styles. And MMA so often is about a clash of styles. And this one really is. You've got two guys who go about their business in very, very different ways. But they're both very effective. And I cannot wait to see this one. I mean, I'm siding towards Khabib just because 
I just think he looks he looks the harder guy to beat. I think he gives you fewer chances to beat him. I think Tony Ferguson will quite happily put himself in danger to get to a fight-winning position. And I think that might cost him against Khabib. Um, just because uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov is just such a beast at 155 pounds. He's a big, strong lad at 155. And I think if he gets his hands on Ferguson, Ferguson's going to going to have an awful lot to deal with but what a matchup what a matchup and this would main event almost any other UFC card certainly would have main evented pretty much every other card we've had so far this year um with ease and it's the co-main event you know we are we are being spoiled with two fantastic championship fights this weekend where are you leaning on this one well yeah I mean one thing I want to say is uh, I know that for a, a few seems like for a while now I think we keep having this kind of like underlying theme of meritocracy in the sport and meritocracy uh, in the UFC specifically. There's no better way to describe um, this than how this fight has been put together in the absence of Conor McGregor. You literally have 1A and 1B outside of the champion fighting each other, the absolute very best. And in fact, in my opinion, I've said this before, for me, Khabib Nurmagomedov, belt or no belt, is the best lightweight in the world. Um, it's hard to go against someone. It's hard to be undefeated in an MMA period, let alone uh, to continue your streak well into your UFC career, which Khabib has done at this point. And it's, it's so hard to go against an undefeated fighter, Simon. So I'm going to be, I'm leaning towards Khabib ever so slightly again. Again, with the main and the co-main event, you could literally flip a coin and it can go either way. That's how uh, evenly contested these two fights are. But I just feel like Khabib, his time is now, uh, like the old saying goes. Um, he had a cu- couple of years there where he was battling injury. And I think he made the right move to go over to AKA where he could perhaps round out his striking. I mean, his his, his sambo and his wrestling, hey, that pedigree is uh, proven. Um, he doesn't need to do any, any, any more there apart from just keep those skills um, at, at a very finely tuned level. Um, but, uh, you know, Tony Ferguson, um, one thing he's definitely got going in his favor is a gas tank and, and he can go 25 minutes and he can go full pelt at, at 25 minutes as well. And it'll be interesting to see uh, if he can manage to, to take Khabib into the championship rounds, how Khabib is able to actually um, handle himself in those deep waters. Because uh, uh, historically, like you said, Simon, he'll grab you, tie you up, pummel you. And uh, the referee will step in before you even know what time it is, right? So um, I'm, I'm going for Khabib here. Uh, and I and also think that whoever comes out on top as a champion here, uh, or as the interim champion at least, it's going to be um, a star-making performance. It's a, it's a big spotlight. It's a, it's a massive stage. Obviously, whoever wins is going to be, I would imagine, um, calling out Conor McGregor. We've seen them both um, use those post-fight interview skills uh, to great effect, especially Khabib in New York. Um, whatever happens here, whoever wins, you've got a, a not that he needs it, but you've got a genuine big money fight waiting in the wings at 155 pounds for Conor McGregor. That is based on meritocracy. You know, there's none of this jumping up, up and down divisions or trying to get um, a money fight, a rematch, a trilogy fight with Nate Diaz. If the UFC put Conor McGregor versus the winner of Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. There's just no arguments, no complaints that, you know, McGregor isn't fighting the absolute best number one contender that you can possibly face in that particular weight class. So, so much riding on this as we kind of, you know, we haven't even finished 
you know, Q, Q1 yet, but already this, the, the outcome and the verdict of this particular fight will have massive ramifications on how the UFC match makes and does the booking for H2. Definitely. And I was just looking down the career records of Khabib and Tony Ferguson. She only got four common opponents. Four. Normally, you might get one or two. They've both beaten Gleason Tebow. They've both beaten Abel Trujillo. They've both faced Michael Johnson. Tony Ferguson lost to Michael Johnson. That was his last defeat, but that was five years ago. Right. Tony Ferguson is a different animal now. And they've both got uh, decision victories over former lightweight champion of the world, Rafael Dos Anjos. So you look at their bodies of work, there are, there are certain uh, similarities there. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think if you take a look at Ferguson's most recent fights compared to Khabib's recent fights, it's really hard to choose between the two. It really is. I think Khabib has probably been more dominant, um, even though he's had, he, he's had a run of decisions in his last, his, I think, where are we? Three of his last five fights have gone to decision, but they were all pretty dominant. So, you know, and, and you look at Tony Ferguson coming off that half Dos Anjos win. That's the biggest win of his career. I remember watching him against Edson Barboza in Vegas uh, two years ago. And to walk through those Barboza leg kicks and then submit the guy was 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 a remarkable performance. That amazing firefight with Lando Venata, where he was in trouble for a little while against Lando in that first round, but he overcame that and dealt with it. It is a absolutely cracking fight. I have a theory that the longer the fight goes, the more it might lean towards Tony Ferguson, mm-hmm. um, assuming he isn't completely battered by that point. I think Khabib is incredibly dangerous early on, and if Ferguson can keep the fight standing and can drag it past the third. I think the fight will start to tilt in his favour. I just have a feeling that Khabib... I think Khabib has, has probably got the edge on paper. But, of course, they're not fighting on paper, are they? They're fighting on canvas. So I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing how that one shakes out. It's going to be an absolute cracker of a co-main event. As I say, worthy of a main event pretty much anywhere in the world. Um Quickly looking at the uh, the other three fights on that main card, Rashad Evans is taking on Judo Dan Kelly, uh, the the wily veteran from Down Under, has got himself a, a quite quite decent fight there against Rashad Evans, who I think everyone will be uh, happy to see Rashad back. He's had a lot of problems he's, he's had to overcome. Uh, he was going to fight on 205, didn't get cleared. Uh, he was going to fight in Toronto, didn't get cleared. Now we understand he's cleared, all is well, he's going to be taking on Dan Kelly. Lando Venata, who we mentioned just a minute ago, giving Tony Ferguson a scare. He's on this main card. He's taking on David Tamer. That is the sleeper fight of the night right there. David yep. Tamer knows nothing better than to stand and trade. Lando Venata loves the scrap himself. Mark that one down. Do not go to the toilet when that fight is on. No boiling the kettle. No going to the loo. That is a fight you cannot afford to miss. And opening, opening the main card, two of the big guys... Alistair Overeem and Mark Hunt. What else can you say? Two of the most dangerous heavyweights on the planet. Mark Hunt has got a point to prove. Alistair Overeem is desperate to bounce back after being knocked out by Stipe Miocic. This is a stacked main card, Sandu. What do you make? What do you make of these other three fights? I mean, is Rashad going to come back with a win? Are we going to see Lando moving on? Is Mark Hunt going to really make a statement on his return to the octagon? There's so many storylines to follow here. You just said the nail on the head, Simon. There's just so many fascinating storylines outside of the two stellar main events that we've got where we've got literally the best of the best fighting each other at 170 and 155 pounds. 
Um, in terms of Rashad Evans, I think this might be a bit of a make-or-break fight for him. Um, obviously, there's been so much concern with him not getting clearance from athletic commissions uh, with regards to, you know, um, his, uh, was it a CT scan or a concussion or the overall kind of uh, situation um, with, with his overall brain scan. So something not to be kind of taken lightly, obviously, you know, with so much or so much, or so much of a spotlight on CTE these days. Uh, but he's got the clearance from the Nevada State Athletic Commission, um, which, which tends to be uh, the gold standard when it comes to uh, athletic commissions in the U.S. anyway. Um, but um, he he seems to kind of say that he's in the best shape of his life. We've kind of heard this kind of stuff before when when we've seen other fighters you know move up and down weight classes. I think the fight with Dan Kelly makes sense. Um, I don't think you want to kind of um, feed him to the sharks right away um, and give him a, a top five or top seven, top eight middleweight just yet. Um, but I think if he can manage to get a, a decent to I suppose emphatic performance and win and hopefully a finish then that should, and again, I'm sure he'll use his post-fight interview opportunity um, appropriately as well. I don't see why you wouldn't want to throw him straight up against a top 10 opponent and see how he can handle himself. You know, at least then by then, he's proven he can make the weight. Hopefully he can um, on Friday morning. And you know, if he comes out on top and wins in his uh, middleweight debut for the UFC, then great, fantastic. Then you're on the right path. Then you've almost kind of reignited um, your career within the UFC, which over the last couple of years has really stumbled quite a bit, especially in that light heavyweight division. Landon Nevada, massive spotlight on him at the moment. Massive, massive spotlight. But I agree with everything you said. Um, we've had the opportunity to see David Taymor up close and personal, uh, cage side, and also interview him here on the European circuit. Absolutely stand and bang type of fighter. Um, he comes from a big, big uh, kickboxing background. I would, I'm, I'm really going to be interested to see how uh, this fight plays out because I don't think it's going to go the distance. I really don't. Uh, someone's going to get put to sleep in that fight for sure. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I think this is a really good um, um, litmus test for Lando Venata um, against somebody who's got a really rock-solid chin um, and can kick and punch with you know both left and right sides of his uh, um, anatomy. So I can't wait to see how that plays out. And like you said, at the top end, Simon, um, you know, to kick the start the, the main card, Alistair Overy, Mark Hunt. Now, the last time these two fought was approximately nine years ago in Dream. And Alistair Overy beat Mark Hunt with a submission, an Americana of all things. Um, I don't feel like that's, that's the same way it's going to go this time. Um, but it's a very interesting fight at heavyweight. Um, Mark Hunt, obviously, he's still got a lawsuit pending against uh, the UFC, which is bizarre. Um, and that was only made uh, public and only kind of official after this uh, bout agreement had been signed and sealed and made official. Uh, and for Alistair Overeem, I think for him, I think he's just now trying to kind of get his uh, UFC career on, on back on track. Um, obviously, he had his title show against Deepa Miocic last September. It didn't go his way, lost by a knockout. Um, but he still is chasing that unicorn. He wants to become the UFC champion uh, so he can kind of, um, I suppose, fill the last empty space um, on his trophy cabinet, uh, which has already got Dream K1 and Strike Force uh, championship belts and trophies. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I said at the start of the show, Simon, business is most definitely picking up uh, with this UFC 209 card, and I can't wait for Saturday night. And actually, for those um, of our listeners who are based in the London area, now might be a quick good time to mention um, that our old friends um, at the Grosvenor uh, Casino in Russell Square, they will be hosting um, a special UFC 209 viewing party. And um, I don't follow boxing as much as I used to um, 
you know, back when I was a, a teenager, Simon. Uh, but I know that the is it the Bellew uh, Hay fight is also taking place on Saturday night. And um, I believe what Groves and I are going to be doing is I'll be showing uh, the boxing followed right by um, uh, the UFC uh, event. So it's a pretty pretty great night of fights there and, and i believe that the, the deal is still going on it's 8.95 or 8.99 for a beer burger and a bet i will throw the eventbrite uh ticket link on our social media and i'm sure it'll be in the embedded in the post um for for the podcast as well so there's an opportunity uh, for londoners uh, to get together with fellow fans and, and have a great night of fights uh, at a casino yeah hay versus Bellew is a really interesting matchup they are going to get it on because they don't get along, as, uh, as as Muhammad Ali once said. There is so much needle in that matchup, I cannot tell you. Tony Bellew, uh, light heavyweight, or sorry, cruiserweight world champion. David Hay, former cruiserweight and former heavyweight world champion, are going to compete at heavyweight. That's going to be an absolute banger of a fight. I do not expect it to go past about five rounds, uh, but it's going to be lively for as long as that one lasts. That's a perfect warm-up to the UFC. And uh, the Mark Hunt Overeem fight. Uh, someone who is already uh, looking to face Mark Hunt next is a black beast, Derek Lewis, who we spoke at length about on last week's show. But I have to say, Derek Lewis versus whoever wins that fight would make a lot of sense. I think, uh, obviously, he was looking towards Mark Hunt. But if Alistair Overeem were to win this fight, why not make Alistair Overeem Derek Lewis in Rotterdam later this year? I like it. That would be an absolutely brilliant main event. James Elliott, if you're listening. <laughs> and uh, that would that would be perfect. If the UFC are going to come back to the Netherlands, I know the Rotterdam event was a huge success. I know there was talk of Amsterdam while we were over there. But uh, I guess it depends on how big a show they can put on um, in terms of the fight card, whether they would actually take it to the Amsterdam Arena. I'd be more than happy to go back to Rotterdam, though. That was That was a brilliant weekend, great event. And having the Ream headlining, and don't forget he won when headlining last last year against, who was he fighting? Uh, Andre Arlovsky. Knocked out Andre Arlovsky. And uh, why not? The Ream versus Derek Lewis or Mark Hunt versus Derek Lewis. Um, either one of those fights makes a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, what, and what a great fight to kick off that main card. Very quickly, you're just running down the prelim card so you know who's on. Marcin Tybura taking on Luis Enrique at heavyweight. A featherweight bout, which is, I think, you know, you mentioned litmus test earlier for Lando Venata. This is the litmus test for Mossad Bektik taking on Darren Elkins, who is probably the hardest man in the featherweight division to look good against. He does a brilliant job of just getting hold of people and just grinding them into the dust and uh, making pretenders of everybody. So if Mossad Bektik can do a number on Darren Elkins... Watch out for him. He's one of the most talented guys in that featherweight division who hasn't had a push yet. This could be the, the coming out party for him. Yuri Alcantara, who had that incredible performance against Brad Pickett in Manchester, taking on Luke Sanders. And Britain's own Mark Godbeer taking on Daniel Spitz, who I just looked at Daniel Spitz's record. Spitz is coming in as a late replacement for Todd Duffy, who was ruled off the fight card last week. Daniel Spitz is 5-0. and And... The last fight he won was against a guy called Colton Vaughan. But prior to that, it was an April 2016 win. Long-time UFC fans will know the name. Wesley Cabbage Carrera. He beat him by unanimous decision just last April. I was stunned to hear that Cabbage Carrera was still fighting. 
But there you go. So he's going to be uh, taking on... Uh, sorry, Daniel Spitz is going to be taking on our very own Mark, the Hand of Godbeer. And there's also British interest on the preliminary card. The featured fight pass prelim features a battle of undefeated light heavyweight prospects. Australia's Tyson Pedro, who is heavy-handed and looks like a real a real phenom against Paul the Bear Jew Craig, who himself had a really impressive octagon debut as well. Um, that is going to be a cracking matchup. The other two fights, just to round off that uh, fight pass prelim card, Amanda Bobby Cooper, women's strawweight finalist from the Ultimate Fighter, taking on Cynthia Calvillo, and Albert Morales taking on Andre Sakrikey. How on earth do you say that name? Saukumthath, I think I... That doesn't even sound like I've pronounced that right. I apologise. We'll call him Andre. Apologies to him. He's the first one, uh, the first man up. He'll be the first man to walk into the octagon on Saturday night to take on the much easier to pronounce Albert Morales. That is UFC 209. That will be live. I believe the fight pass prelims, assuming the fight card stays intact. Fight pass prelims will kick off at half 11, uh, exclusive to UFC fight pass. Then the televised, sorry, the televised prelims will be shared between UFC Fight Pass and BT Sport 2, I believe, from 1am. The main card will be exclusively live on BT Sport 2 from 3am. That is going to make for one hell of a fight night. And if you mix that up with the boxing as well, you've got yourself a packed night of mixed martial arts action. There is also on Fight Pass earlier in the night, uh, Cage Warriors 81 live from Dublin. So if you really want to go mad for it, you could basically have something in the region of 10 hours of live fights just in one hit. I suggest you sort of set yourself a couple of screen breaks, walk around for a bit so you don't start putting roots down on your sofa. But there, are, there, there is an awful lot of uh, mixed martial arts and boxing action to get your teeth into this weekend. It's going to be a packed weekend. Sandu, it's a slightly truncated show this week, but I think this probably works well for the pair of us. Should we launch into the Q&As? Absolutely. Um, I think uh, the show so far has been short, sweet, to the point, no fanning about. Yes. That's the way we like it. Very much right. so. Right, so we got... Th- thanks again, first of all, everyone, uh, tweeting in. I know it was a bit of an early call for call to action, uh, the fact that uh, me and Simon are actually recording the show slightly earlier uh, than our usual Monday evening time slot. So I appreciate everyone that hit us up um, late Sunday night with the questions. Um, actually, the first uh, question I want to kind of uh, ask is on behalf of uh, Wayne Koretinich, and I probably butchered his uh, surname, so sorry about that, Wayne. Um, he actually tweeted us uh, middle of last week, uh, and it's in regards to a bit of unfortunate news regarding uh, former UFC fighter Terry Etim. He's asking us if if we can give him any more news regarding Terry Etim, and if any of the listeners um, aren't aware of it just yet, um, the Liverpool Echo um, published a story um, early last week regarding Terry Etim, uh, and unfortunately, um, I don't exactly know the details of what he's personally going through right now. Uh, but he was involved in, in, in an incident where he essentially threw himself, uh, or this is what the uh, the eyewitness reports are, that he threw himself into road traffic. I think it was around three or four vehicles. Uh, and he was, at the time, in very serious condition um, at a local hospital there. Uh, I'm sure, you know, when people hear the you know, name Terry Etim, uh, the first thing that pops to mind is that very flashy spinning heel kick um, that knocked him out stiff at the hands of Edson Barboza. Um, 
Simon, I don't know if you were following the story much uh, closely at all or if it was still just the initial um, news report uh, by the Liverpool Echo that you're kind of, uh, I suppose, absorbing or have absorbed since. Um, but there was a lot of uh, outpour of heartfelt, I suppose, messages, uh, you know, wishing Terry you know, all the best. Um, your thoughts on the current situation and what he's kind of gone through this last week? Yeah, it's always it's always slightly slightly tricky when you don't have the full picture and the full story of what's gone on. Um, we obviously know about the incident itself, which has been widely reported now. Um, I think the, you know the main thing that we can say is is, is that you know we wish Terry Etim the speediest and fullest of recoveries, um, and and we hope that whatever whatever issues he he might be going through. He he can he can deal with those and you know through the help of his friends and his family and you know perhaps his his, his teammates he can he can get himself through. Um, he hasn't competed professionally since November twenty thirteen, um, and uh, yeah, it was it, it it was a bizarre story to hear about. And uh, I know you know the natural thing for people to do is to speculate, and I think in a situation yeah. like this, it's probably best not to. Uh, you know, the most important thing is that. Terry's getting the uh, the care that he needs right now, uh, and that hopefully from this point on he gets all the help he needs, whether it be from a sort of almost like a pastoral thing, uh, and and just to help him help him move on from what clearly seems to be a difficult time in his life. So um, you know, I think I'm I'm sure that you know I'm, I'm echoing the views of all the all the British fight fans and anybody sort of worldwide who knows anything about Terry and his fighting career. A very entertaining fighter, and we just wish him and his family all the best, and we hope that he can get through a, a really tricky spot. And uh, fingers crossed, we hear we hear that there, you know there are better things around the corner for him. Yeah, hopefully uh, when it comes round to recording next week's show, uh, we've got some positive news to, news to share with regards to an update um, regarding Terry Atom. Um, moving on, Stuart Tuckwell tweets in and says, "Should Bama introduce five round title fights? Would have loved to have seen." an extra two rounds in the Park v. Redmond fight. So first of all, Si, did you watch the Bama card on Saturday night? I did. I watched bits and pieces of it. I was kind of dipping in and out because I was having to do some other bits and pieces. Uh, I, had a, I had a slightly uh, a slightly tricky night with uh, with my five-year-old daughter, so I was kind of running around doing doing various things. But it was, it was in the main, it, you know, it was a good night of fights. Um, and uh, I completely agree with what Stuart was saying there. That, that fight between... Uh, Paul Paul Redzer Redmond and, and Norman Park, we needed we needed another another couple of rounds in that fight. I thought it was a it was a really good back and forth contest. I thought it was very very well matched, and uh, I think if you'd have asked both guys at the end of those three rounds, do you want to go for another two? They'd both have happily taken them. Um, and uh, it was something I was I was talking online to a couple of people. They did used to have five round main a uh, five round title fights when it was a Bama World Championship fight. Um, the thing that reminded me of this was the infamous and some say legendary middleweight championship fight between Tom Kong Watson and Alex Reed, which remains one of the one of the best domestic fights I think I've seen. It was absolutely brilliant, that fight. And uh, that one went the distance. That went all five rounds. And uh, Mark Goddard actually jumped on Twitter and confirmed that they they did used to have five round fights, and I think he was one of the one of the driving forces behind them having five round world title fights. Since then, they've gone back to three. Now that might be to make it easier to package for television when you've got a bigger, a, 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 you know, a much longer matchup. 
might be harder to fit into television schedules, especially if you've only got an hour or an hour and a half of uh, air time to fill. If you've got a five-round fight in there, that doesn't leave you a lot of wriggle room for anything else. Um, I think for me, having the work, there's two different levels of championship in Bama. You've got the World Championship and you've got the Lonsdale Championship, which used to be the Lonsdale British Championship, but they've dropped British from that. So it's just like a second. Almost like, imagine it being the, the intercontinental title to the, uh, the main world title. Right. If you want to look at it that way. So if you win the Lonsdale Championship, you're like the top prospect or like, you know, the rising contender and you've got the belt to prove it. And then the idea is that that catapults you towards the world title. I think the Lonsdale belt doing that over three rounds is fine. It would be great to see the, the main world championship contested over five rounds, but I'm sure there are good reasons why that isn't the case at the moment. I'm guessing it's TV related. Jack tweets in and says, if Bellator sort their live TV issues out, do you think they can compete with the UFC in the UK? So, I think Bellator, on any given Saturday night, Friday night, whatever night the, the event takes place, on an event-by-event event, uh, case, on an event-by-event by, event by event basis, they can compete with the UFC. Uh, you know, case in point, uh, their upcoming main event, Rory McDonald versus Paul Daly, hands down uh, the best fight when you're looking at the two cards, um, you know, fight for fight, right? Now, we've mentioned this before, and I've talked about this before as well. I don't think there's a promotion in the world that can compete with the UFC when it comes to its brand awareness. I, I think there's a lot of people that, um, you know, are probably buying tickets to watch the UFC, um, you know, next month who aren't maybe the most hardcore, passionate MMA fans, but the UFC is in town. It's something different to do on a Saturday night in London and they've nabbed themselves some tickets. And in fact, I know quite a few people who aren't the biggest MMA fans who don't watch the UFC all the time. Uh, but then when they found out the UFC was coming to the O2, they thought, yeah, we'll get some tickets. We'll, we'll go check it out because they're aware of the brand. Those three letters mean so much in combat sports. It, it holds value that we cannot even comprehend. And we're going to continue to see, and especially in the next kind of like 12 to 18 months, what those three letters really mean, especially when it comes to the TV landscape. So when it comes to any type of broadcast deal you could be on channel five every saturday night if you really you know uh wanted to push the boat out on bellator's kind of uh i suppose um exposure in the uk but you're still not going to be able to compete with the ufc in any form except when it's an event by event cases fight for fight absolutely 100 percent. and if you're taking the letters ufc and putting them to one side and you're taking the word bellator and putting that to one side and you're purely judging the two promotions based on the criteria of their roster and the best possible fights they can put together, 100% Bellator can absolutely compete with the UFC in the UK. Uh, do you agree, disagree? Your take on that, Simon? Yeah, I, t I tend to agree with that. I think that, you know the main difference between the UFC and Bellator right now is the UFC is the established brand leader and also they have a larger roster. And I think that the relative sizes of those two rosters are going to gradually get closer. I think Bellator are looking to grow theirs. The UFC are looking to trim theirs. So I think it's going to be a very interesting 18 months to see just how things shake out uh, as Bellator develops into a much more credible rival to the UFC. I do think they do things differently from a promotional standpoint. I don't have a problem with that. I think it's nice to have two similar but not necessarily identical products out there. Um, and I think that 
the interesting thing, one of the interesting things that came out of that press conference with Scott Coker um, earlier this week, or sorry, last week, was he was talking about the potential for having a UK series here and creating shoulder programming that will run on Channel 5 and or Spike and really looking to sort of get some roots down here in the UK. I think they see the value of this market. I think they, they, they're of the view that it hasn't been fully exploited by the UFC yet. And I think they see an opportunity there. So that will be really interesting to see just what they do. Um, I think, as you say, the brand the brand is everything right now. And people talk about UFC as if UFC is the sport. Um, and until that tag gets shaken off, I think the UFC will always have the edge because they are they are the dominant brand. They're the NFL of the sport. Um, Bellator are putting putting on increasingly higher quality shows, and shows like the one that they're bringing to London are going to do nothing but good for mixed martial arts on this side of the pond, and nothing but good for their own brand awareness. But I think long term, it's going to be tricky for them to just go sort of toe to toe with the UFC. I think it's a case of choosing their battles and winning those. And uh, in this particular one, they certainly appear to have the more stacked top end of the fight card. But as you said earlier, strength and depth, you've got to give that to the UFC. Our good friend in the uh, local UK MMA media, Liam Happ, had a pretty interesting tweet. And I saw a cheeky like from you, Simon. So I hope you're pretty well prepared for this particular question now. Um, first of all, give Liam a follow if you if you guys haven't already. It's at Liam Hap, um, H A P E. Um, he's a combat sports journalist for uh, Yahoo, um, fantastic outlet. And um, he essentially asks if three MMA stars were to get an endorsement deal like this, and he tags a picture of a very old WWF superstars uh, chain of crisp packets that were released, where you had spicy beef with the undertaker on it chunky cheese with the macho man randy savage and pickled onion with brett the hitman heart on the cover of that particular crisp packet and he's asking if any three mma stars were to get an endorsement deal like this who would it be and which flavor simon this has got your name written all over <laughs> it so so fire away what does that even mean why what, why why of course i know the answer to this right <laughs> okay, cheesy. You need the cheesiest man in the UFC. Sage Northcutt is the cheesiest man in the UFC. I love the man, but he's cheddar. So he is he is on the cheesy packet. Let's look at the beefy packet. We need the most brazen beefcake, the person who's showing themselves off on Instagram more than anybody else in the UFC. That man is Sage Northcutt. Put him <laughs> on the beefy packet. And then pickled onions a bit of a stretch. So I've kind of tweaked it and made it a bit of a Christmas edition. And we've gone for sage and onion. That's right. Sage <laughs> Northcut. Just sage Northcut needs to bring out his own range of uh, UFC branded uh, snacks. It's a winner. Take it to the bank. I'll take my 5%. Thank you very much. I couldn't have done any better myself, Simon. That's why um, you are Simon Head and this is what you do. Um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Love that. Right. So to end the, to end the segment and to end the show, the final question comes in from Daryl Chumbly. And he says, anyone not in the new Ultimate Fighter show that you would have liked to have seen? 
that's a that's a tough question because I, I guess when when you want to try and put together a comeback season, you've got to figure out what weight classes you're going to do, how many available fighters you've got, and if you're going to invite fighters to come back, which of those fighters are still within contract, are out of contract, are perhaps fighting for another organization. It becomes really really tricky. Uh, that's a pretty difficult question for me to answer, Simon. I mean, are there any fighters that come to mind off, off the top of your dome right away? Yeah, I mean, we're not dealing in reality here, are we? So I can't get this wrong. Um, one person had things been different. This is we're we're talking welterweights, aren't we? We're talking. Welterweight. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been amazing to see Paul Daly back in there? This is if if this is the house of second chances, right? Then no one in the world of welterweight mixed martial arts is perhaps more deserving of a second chance than Paul Daly. Now he's he's fine and dandy over in Bellator. He's going to main event in London. But could you imagine? And if he was in the house, you'd have to put Koscheck in the house, right? So you'd have, and Koscheck's got some previous when it comes to the Ultimate Fighter. You know, the the uh, the original bad boy of the Ultimate Fighter house, tough one, and uh, spritzing on the, and 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 uh, all of that stuff. So we had all of that. Uh, and if Chris Lieben was still about and in any kind of condition to compete, you'd sling him in there as well. You just drag out all the old tough one guys. The one name who is perhaps more realistic than all of those, who I actually thought was going to go in the Ultimate Fighter house and didn't, was a certain Mr. Philip Brooks Esquire, a.k.a. CM Punk. I thought that this season was going to be built around him, if I'm honest. I thought he would have been, as soon as I mentioned that there was going to be one contracted UFC fighter going in there, I thought it's got to be Punk. Because... It's all about TV ratings. And all you need to do is you make sure that you don't pick him as the first fight. You say, you know, maybe he goes into the house with a slight injury, in quotation marks, that means that he can't be picked to fight until a bit further in the season. But yet he's on every show. And and you do that and you're building up to his fight. And, you know, a, a Phil Brooks versus an aging Joe Daddy Stevenson might have been something interesting to watch. Could a guy who... He's trying to launch himself into the UFC, do anything against someone whose who's prime has sort of been and gone and he's trying to cling on to past glories a little bit. I thought he would have been the perfect candidate to stick in there. And maybe that was the original plan, who knows. But uh, he he's the one guy I would have liked to have seen in there, uh, CM Punk. You answer that question has given me a few minutes to actually think about this a little bit more. And when you think about welterweights, and especially British welterweights who haven't competed in quite some time and are actually contracted still with the UFC, one John Hathaway, who really unfortunately has been battling Crohn's disease um, since 2010. And it hampered um, a lot of his career, especially back in 2011, 2012. He last fought back in March of 2014 um, when he lost... Uh, to Dong Yong Kim uh, oh, yeah. with, a, with a vicious spinning back elbow, which is one of the knockouts of the year. And that that fight was in Macau. And uh, I remember actually catching up with him. I think it was early last year. I was actually uh, at London Two Fighters to uh, to interview Michael Ben and Page, and I just ended up running into uh, John Hathaway, spoke to him for a few minutes. At the time, he didn't think um, he was anywhere near um, kind of getting over it. Um, and, and having spoken to some of the other, you know, chaps and, and ladies and boys and girls in the uh, in that particular gym, he's not around too often these days, Simon. Um, so maybe he's uh, kind of unofficially retired, and maybe he he won't be making a comeback. Who who knows? 
Um, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate because even right now, as you know, as we uh, record this show on the 27th of February, 2017, he's still only 29 years old, which is which is incredible considering his overall record um, is still just 17 and two. So yeah, if you're going to put somebody um, who wants to kind of um, make a comeback, that's my kind of shout out, John Hathaway. And one of the nicest guys you would ever meet in the sport as well, by the way. Really, really lovely guy. Um, if he does have any designs of getting back in the octagon again, then uh, that's another guy we need to be sending our best wishes to, as I say. Really, really nice guy. Great ambassador for the sport. And uh, it would be great from a British point of view, because we are the Brit pack, after all. Yep. Uh, it would be great to see him back in that octagon once again. That pretty much wraps us up, Sandu. That's show, a wrap. Show number 29. Short and sweet. Um, you can subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Acast. You can listen to us directly from our website at thebritpackmma.com. You can follow us on Twitter at thebritpackmma. You can follow Mr. Sandu at SandyMMA. And if you're feeling particularly desperate, you can follow me as well at Simon Head. That is the Brit Pack number 29, episode number 30. We'll see us look back at the biggest show of 2017 so far. Two world championship fights from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Will Wonderboy get the job done or will Tyron still be the chosen one? Enjoy the fights. We'll speak to you next week.